I know some of you very well, and I know that fifth Sundays are usually the Sundays you're like, <coughs> got the flu, can't go, because you're nervous about having your kids in here. Hey, boys and girls, I'm so glad you're here, and uh, I'm so glad you get to sit with mom and dad and worship Jesus with us this morning. And so I want you to know I've been mindful uh, that you're going to be here as I teach this morning. The sermon this morning was going to be out of Mark chapter 12, and Mark chapter 12 has a bunch of beatings and murder, and so I decided... Maybe we'll wait until next weekend to pick back up in Mark chapter 12. Amen. That's wisdom, correct? So you're like, well, it's in the Bible. Our kids need to learn about murder. Therefore. So, if you have your Bible with you this morning, open with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is a part of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew that is speaking about, it's what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so it, we have several chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, that are the teachings of Jesus as he is unfolding and explaining God's law. It's the teaching of God's law as it stands from the Old Testament as he explains it now going into the New Testament idea of kingdom. And so part of this now we're picking up in Matthew chapter 6, and he's talking about the issue of anxiety. Anxiety is just the sense of being worried. It's being concerned about things and at times feeling out of control. And my wife and I, Stephanie, and our family have been in this area now over seven years. And when we moved to this area, one of the things I noticed is that a lot of us struggle with the issue of worry. And for many of us, that is what really motivates us to do what we do and to live how we live. We're motivated. We get moving because we're worried about things. We're worried about how things are going to work out. We're worried about how we're going to be provided for. And so we, we allow things like worry to make us do things or to be motivated to do things instead of allowing God and who he is to be our hope and our source. And so my, my hope this morning isn't to solve all of your issues of worry that doesn't happen in one day, but I'm coming before you and I've got to begin by confessing I am a hypocrite when it comes to the issue of worry. I've been a worrier. I've, I've actually been a professional worrier. I have not been paid to worry, but I've paid others to listen to my worries, so close enough. Some of you are laughing. You're like, hey, me too, right? But you, you, you're, you're like good at it. Like, like some of us, if we took worry away, we wouldn't know how to be. We're afraid that we won't find motivation. And so when we talk about worry this morning, um, the reason why I chose to talk about this, boys and girls, was because from the very, very young age, I began wrestling with worry. As early as four years old, I remember struggling with worry. What if my mom and dad don't come back? What if bad things happen? What if I get hurt? What if, what if, what if? And even as I was young and my, my family would go to church and uh, I, would, I would take my worry and instead of really learning about who God is and what that means, I would then believe that it was up to me to be good and do good things so that bad things wouldn't happen to me. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. And so the reason I, I thought, hmm, it might be a good time to teach on this um, is because, one, the summer's coming to an end. I know that's a bummer for some of us. But summer's going to be winding down, and also we're, um, we're about to launch also into the school year. And I know from knowing many of you, I look out here, I know the majority of you here, I know that for most of us, we struggle with worry. We obsess about things. We hold on to things. And so my hope is that this, at least this morning, will bring some truth into the situation and help us to begin really shifting our focus from what we see in the mirror or from what we see in the bank account to who we see God is, and as we watch God be faithful to that end. 
The main point I want to make this morning is that focusing on God and His kingdom frees us from worry. Focusing on God and His kingdom frees us from worry. And so as we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 is the, the, the beginning of where we're going to be, but we have to look at when it says therefore, we have to understand what therefore is there for. So start with me in verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, mammon, stuff, wealth. So in this previous passage, Jesus is warning God's people about the love of money and the hope that we place in money and the desire to get money and to then have and control money. And so he's teaching on that, and he brings it to this summary point. You can't serve two masters. You will be devoted to one, and you will hate the other. So if you're fully loving money and stuff and what it can provide, the sense of power, the sense of wealth, the sense of being okay, then that is essentially turning your back on the one who ultimately makes us okay. And so we pick up then in the next verse, in verse 25, therefore, because of that idea, you can't serve both masters, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he, he begins by responding to this issue of wealth and possessions by saying, we are worrying about and focusing on the wrong things. We are denying who God is and His faithfulness by hoping in ourselves and worrying about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Now clearly, mom and dad, this isn't advocating that, hey, teach your kids not to care. Because the first thing that runs through our mind is we don't want them to be homeless. We don't want them to be foolish. We don't want them to go to prison. We don't want them to get dead, right? We have all these things that we want for our children. And so naturally, we want those things for our children. And the issue of wanting good things for our children is godly. The issue of wanting them to manifest those things for themselves, though, is idol worship. Where is the source? Who is the source of all good things? Where do those good things come from? Who is the one that made us and who provided a way of redemption for us and continues to feed us and to provide clothing for us? Is it your ability to work hard or is it God the Father in heaven? Now, listen, it's super easy for me to come up here and say, well, the Bible says, so deal with it and then try harder and don't worry. How does that usually work for us? We start worrying about the fact that we're worrying, right? And so we go from worrying about provision to our ability to worry or not, worry or not worry. And so that's not, Jesus isn't saying try harder not to worry. He's saying you're focusing on the wrong things. Your worry, there are things to concern yourselves with, but why don't you invest that energy into something and someone that actually pays bigger payment back to you? Why don't you give yourself to someone or something that actually provides greater benefit for us? And so, as we dig further into here, I want us to understand that um, many of us will have our inner critic because we've come to believe, myself included, that if we don't have the worry, we won't have the motivation. If we don't have the motivation, we're going, uh, all going to end up hungry and homeless, right? I mean, that's, that's really kind of, if we're honest, how the logic plays out. The interesting thing is we worry because we want to be happy. That's one of the motives of it. We worry so that we can create an environment that makes us happy. Let's be honest. We worry because we want to be happy. 
And so it is an issue of worship. That's something we need to understand. Whatever we give our attention to, our love to, our loyalty to, that is who or what we worship. And so this desire to be protected and taken care of is not a bad desire. What Jesus is teaching, though, the focus of where you put that desire is extremely important. So he gives illustrations from life. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now certain birds in Texas, that's not always true because of you guys with shotguns. Amen? Oh, come on, I know some of you are hunters. You're like, I'm just harvesting. But by and large, he's saying, hey, it's not that birds don't work, but it's that watch them. They, they go about doing what they do, understanding that ultimately what they need is going to be provided for them. Birds work. I remember learning about birds making nests when I was four years old. I was fascinated. And I remember the teacher saying, they pick up little sticks, they pick up grass, they pick up strings. And so I would go into my mom's sewing box, kids, and I'd cut off pieces of thread out of her sewing box. And sometimes I'd like pull it out of stuff she was working on, start cutting thread, and I'd go and put it on this tree, and I thought all the birds were coming to take it. I later learned about wind and realized, well, maybe, maybe the birds were taking the yarn and the thread and the pieces of paper I were leaving for them, but I was so excited because they just naturally went about the business that they knew they were supposed to do. But ultimately, God was the one that provided the food they needed, the supplies they needed for their nest. And so it's not that Jesus is advocating for laziness. He's inviting us to a change in focus and motivation. He's calling us to say, let's change the why. Let's change the why of what we're doing to something more. Not something less, but to something more. Let's put our energies behind something that actually brings great amount of value and great amount of fruit. So he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. You're more valuable than the creation that God created. You are, humans are the highest creation that God made. Everything else that God made is for you and I to partake of and to make, take care of and to manage and to enjoy. And so as we go about this life and we look to God's evidence in creation, we're able to see that, hey, God has been faithful throughout. God has always protected us. God has always provided for us. God has always been faithful. Look around you. Look at the clothes we're wearing and the house we're living in or the apartment or the place we're staying. Has not God been faithful? What our worry then communicates though is God, yeah, you're good, but it's not enough. It's a message on contentment that I'll pull out some other time. But aren't the birds, aren't they more valuable than they? And which of you, oh, this is so good, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life? The Bible teaches that our days are numbered, that God knows the day it begins, and He already knows the day that it ends. So no matter how hard you're working to be healthier and happier, you're going to die one day. It's inevitable. And obviously that doesn't mean, well, let's just eat milkshakes and Big Macs all of our lives. What it is advocating for is that ultimately we give ourselves way more credit than we deserve on how long our life will be. Yes, we're responsible. Yes, we need to be wise. Yes, we need to run 13.1 miles like some friends just did. 
I don't know if we need to do that. I don't like driving 13 miles, but we need to be stewards of our body and be wise. But worrying, I mean, you think about this worry. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There, in this part of the world where Jesus was teaching, there are these beautiful purple flowers that would grow. And they're often thought that these purple flowers were a visualization that Jesus was giving about God's faithful beauty and covering using Solomon, the wealthiest man to ever live, the most powerful king there ever was, as an example for God's faithful provision. He says, look at those flowers. They've done nothing to earn it, yet God has done it. God has provided for it. Verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Here He's not saying, O you of no faith. He's bringing critique for the fact that the amount of faith that they're bringing to the table is not grand enough for the amount of power that God has. And I think that charge could be accurate for all of us as well. Oh, I do believe, but Father, help me in my unbelief. So our our, our worry about how we provide really triggers a lot of things. And he says, slow down, calm down, look. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If this grass that is utilized for ultimately one day it's beauty, next day it's fuel, but God is mindful of it, how much more will he care for your needs? Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now some of you might be thinking, well, Casey, yes, all of us might have food to eat, and obviously we have clothes to wear, thank God. But what about all those people who don't? Well, see, you're so worried about making sure you have food to eat and clothes to wear that perhaps He's called you to seek first His kingdom of taking care of the poor and needy. But instead of living this outward-focused life, we're, we're consuming and hoarding and protecting and keeping because of our worry. Because of our worry. And, and I'm guilty of that. There aren't many mornings that I don't wake up struggling with some sense of anxiety or worry. So I, I, I'm with you. There aren't, I don't know many days that I don't go check my bank account or my budget software, or anything else, and and look and sort of fret and believe that maybe by me looking and and checking these things that there will be more money coming in if if I'm worried about it. But that's not what Jesus teaches. So I want to talk to you from this passage about three truths about worry. If you're going to worry, I at least want you to be biblically informed of what it means. So that you're not, at least it's no longer happening, happening upon you but you're willingly make a choice and you're understanding the consequences of worry. Consequence means something that happens as a result of something else. 
So worrying costs you something, and you're believing things about worry. I at least want to help you from this passage believe the right things about worry. The first thing is this. Worry causes us to focus on ourselves more than we focus on God. Worrying makes us believe that we are ultimately in control and responsible for everything that happens to us. We, we begin to believe the mantra of, it's up to me, or in some generation, it's up to somebody else. But we don't appropriately provide direction and clarity on what it is that we are needing from God and focusing on God. It causes us to focus on ourselves, our abilities, our successes, our lack of success. It shifts the focus from the one who has made us, the one who knows and has made a way to redeem us, the one who provides for us, but it shifts the focus from that. And so when you're choosing to worry, and I know for some of us it feels like worrying happens on us, and I've been there, but when we choose to continue on in and engage in this worry, it shifts our focus away from God and His kingdom, and it shifts our focus to our ability. If you're a high-functioning person like many people in this room are, it'll then let you be very high when things go well or be in a very low low when things don't seem to be going as well. Your sense of worth your sense of value, your identity will ride heavily on your ability to perform. And so that's what you're investing in when you're choosing to invest in worry. You're shifting your focus from God and you're putting it on yourself. I can't remember the last time I've had a conversation with someone where I had to rebuke them for trusting God too much. I don't remember. I remember I met one guy many, many years ago who was unemployed and quote-unquote waiting on the Lord, and I asked him, have you learned to read? He said, oh, of course. I said, there's a, there's a classified section and a want place section for looking for jobs. Have you looked at any of those? No. Nope. Just waiting on the Lord. That's not waiting on the Lord. That's laziness. So I don't want you to hear that, well, I'm just going to sit and wait on the Lord. I remember when I was getting my speaking ministry started, um, and I, I, w I was ready to go. I was ready to get on the road for 100 days and get after it. The problem is, is no one really knew who I was or what I had to say. And so part of it was, well, I'm going to wait on the Lord to do that. But while I was waiting on the Lord, I took a job and was working. And continued to wait for God's provision. And eventually, a year and a half in, I was able to start speaking full time. Partly because I had a sugar mama, Stephanie, who was a teacher. She was making the big bucks. Like 36,000 bucks. We were rich. So rich. God provided. But the, waiting on the Lord, it isn't just sitting and doing nothing. There are times though, waiting on the Lord looks lazy. There are times where it appears like, hey, I'm going I'm to wait and see what God does. There are times where that is appropriate. I remember talking to Neil and Sarah Sandos. They are our first missionary couple that are sent to Africa on long-term missions through SIM. And I remember the fundraising process for them. And I remember they were like, golly, man, we're still short, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you got to wait in the Lord, you know? And my first instinct was like, let me help raise money. But I knew part of their growth and trusting God was to see God faithfully provide at the right time. And it wasn't until the, the week or two before they left that the last bit of the money they needed to raise came in. But it did. And I was so proud of what God was doing in them and how they were responding to Him. They were definitely sitting down, having meetings with people, communicating their financial need, but they were also being very clear that they were going to wait on God, and God 
faithfully provided. The first thing about worry, it causes us to focus on ourselves more than God. One thing I've learned is that the more I'm consumed by worry, the, less, the more distracted I am from the things of God as well. The more I'm consumed with worry, the more distracted I am about the things I'm worrying about. Therefore, I'm giving my attention, my love, and my loyalty to the issue rather than to my Savior. And we'll get into some practical, basic, like, next steps at the end. I want you to understand, I'm not going to just throw this out here and be like, yes, I do worry. I must repent. And I'll, like, and I'll just be like, hey, go try harder and trust God. And you're like, oh, what do I do with that? I hope to give you some next steps. The second truth I want you to understand about worry is this. That worry does not solve any problems. Psychologically speaking, when our mind is consumed by worry, our ability to problem-solve actually decreases. And a lot of us think, like, the more I'm ramped up and nervous and anxious, the more I'm going to be able to solve the problems. And some of you are able to push through and get it done. But basically, it doesn't solve any problems. And that's what Jesus says. He says, which of you, by worrying, adds another day to your life? All you're doing is robbing yourself from the joy that you're created to have in Jesus. So you're not growing in joy. You're being robbed of enjoyment by your worry. And see, many of us view worry as a faithful companion when really it's a thief. It robs us from the hope that we've been given to have. And there are many times I leave my metaphorical, my made-up idea door of my mind open for worry to creep in. I'm used to it. It's, a, it's an old friend. It's not a friend that's been good for my soul, but it's one that's been faithful. And I let it in, but it doesn't solve any problems. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, if any of you have ever struggled with clinical anxiety, it can be debilitating, meaning it can make everything stop in your life. And so there's ways that you have to hold on to it and physiologically deal with it through breathing and other things, but ultimately, that won't solve any problems in any lasting way. Many of us believe, I mean, think about it. If I don't worry, it won't work out. Who is the object of your hope? You. You are. You're the object of your hope. When you hope in worry. And it leads to this idea of superstition, meaning that you believe that certain interactions with God will happen if you worry. When I was nine years old, my family was going pretty consistently to church at the time. I didn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. But I believe that the more I said please when I prayed, the more God was likely to answer. And so I would sit there and just obsessively fall asleep saying, please, 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 please. I mean, can you imagine being God and hearing that? If my kid came up to me and kept saying please, I would say no immediately. Braylon, if you come up and go, please, please, please. No, you're, you're grounded. You're not allowed to talk. Go away. But I believe that maybe if I asked enough in that way, he would listen and make my parents okay, or make my family not fall apart, or make us make sure we had the money we needed, or whatever. If I said more and did more, it was up to me to make God to do things. And that's where I think we miss out on, on what prayer really is. Prayer isn't making God saying, you know what, the issue of salvation and world peace really rests on your shoulders. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation to partner with God and to agree with God with the things that He wants to see happening. It's a way for us to align and to 
change our focus from our own ability to do it to the one who has ability to do it and then partner with him, receive strength from him, get clarified vision from him to be able to participate in what he's doing. It's different than worry. It's different. So the first thing is, worry causes us to focus on ourselves more than God. And number two, worry does not solve any problems. And in fact, what it does, mom and dad, is it gives a positive reinforcement for negative behavior. It makes you believe that if I keep this up, then I'll get the results I want. When really, that's a godless belief. Worrying about where your kid's going to go to college or worrying about your kid being poor when they're older or worrying about the success of your child puts a lot of pressure on yourself, puts a lot of pressure on them. Puts a lot of pressure on them. Puts a lot of pressure on your spouse. I don't know about you, but there have been times where my worry has carried over to Steph and caused her to worry. And so I haven't encouraged her faith I've been a good, how do I put this positively, challenge for growth to her faith. A sanctifier, if you will. And this doesn't mean we have to take this false identity of, man, it's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. In the end, it will be just fine, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it doesn't solve any problems. I, if it was very productive and solved a lot of problems, then I would say, worry away. Let's get together and have a worry meeting. Thursday nights, first Thursday of the month, we're going to gather and have a worry meeting together. We'll get together and just worry. No, we're going to have prayer meetings that come and bring our worries and bring them to the Lord. God, we have a burden for our neighbors to come to know Jesus. God, we want our boys and girls to know Jesus at a young age and begin to treasure Jesus and value Jesus. And God, only You can do that. Help us. And number three, worry distracts us from living for the things that really matter. Jesus says, instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Worry distracts us from living for the things that really matter. Things that are eternal. Things that are lasting. When we worry, we're not investing in things that pay back. When we worry, we're not giving ourselves fully to our relationship with God. When we worry, we're not fully investing in our marriage. In fact, when we worry, we're often breeding this culture of insecurity in our home rather than this culture of hope. And because the grave is empty, because Christ is not remaining dead, we are a people who must live with hope. But worry distracts us. It keeps us greedy and it keeps us selfish and it keeps us from really living a generous life reflecting the generous God who gave His own Son for us. So Jesus teaches in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so here is the command from Jesus Himself. Are you ready? And part of being a Christian isn't just hearing and going away and forgetting. Part of being a Christian is hearing from God and doing what it says. It says this, do not be anxious. Well, that's easy, right? Those of you who struggle with anxiety, I mean, sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to not be anxious now. I'm whoop, done. 
But I think the first step for those of us who do worry and are struggling is confession. Confession is simply agreeing with God. God, I am worrying about this. I am hoping in this. And I'm not hoping in You. One thing I've begun practicing this summer again that I hadn't done in a while, full confession, is praying when I worry. When I feel anxiety, I take that as an invitation to pray. God, I'm concerned about our finances. God, I'm concerned about this family. Um, I can obsess over your souls. And that sounds creepy, and sometimes it feels a little creepy. But I, can, I, can, I want you all to know and love Jesus. I want your sons and daughters to know and love and pursue Jesus. I want you to find your treasure in heaven rather than your treasure on earth. I don't want you to be choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. I don't want your joy to be robbed based on circumstance in life, but rather on the consistency of the grace of God through Jesus. I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want you to live an anxious and worried life. I don't want you to obey God because you're worried about His wrath. I want you to obey God because He's given us his all. Because He's worth it. Because He's faithful. Because He does the heavy lifting. Because He heals when He wants to heal. And He doesn't by His own weird will. But He doesn't sometimes. But that doesn't change the fact that He is good. So do not be anxious. So what do we do instead? Well, Jesus fortunately gives us some ideas. So what we do is seek first His kingdom. We prioritize. We prioritize God's kingdom. God's kingdom. One of the ways I've battled worry over the years is I worship through song. I allow the prayers of other people to be my guide when I don't have the feeling or the right words to say. And so I worship. I turn on worship songs or on Sunday morning. There's many Sunday mornings I wake up and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. And Steph's like, that's your job. So I'm hearing what she's trying to relate. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing that you don't feel like going and being the pastor today. Now get up and go pray and study. And I get up and I come and I worship God because it's true. Even though if I'm not feeling that it's true, it's true. And He's so faithful. He's so faithful to meet us in our worry. But the challenge is, one, worry ultimately is sin. But many of us then take our worry and believe that God can't overcome it or, or, or forgive it. And that's just a lie. It, it's worshipful. It gives God honor when you say, God, I'm worrying. That's prayer. That's you acknowledging that, hey, I, I'm missing it. I'm interacting with this in a way that's making it about myself. It's not really helpful. And it distracts me from the things that are really important. So God, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, God, help me. One way I help people who, like me, focus on what they're worried on, I tell them, I said, when you're feeling overwhelmed, make a chart. You, God, others. What's your responsibility? To love God, to obey God, to honor my covenants and commitments, right? Those type of things. What's God's responsibility? He's the one that changes other people's hearts, not you. He's the one that could come and bring repentance to somebody. For other people, it's their choice to make good decisions at the end of the day. It's up to them ultimately to love and obey God and to make wise choices. And you can lead the way. You can instruct them in the way. But ultimately, it's up to God. And so we start partitioning it out and then letting that be our prayer list. Letting that be what we pray about. That God, I'm coming to You because I believe You're faithful. I believe that You call me not to be anxious. And I am. And God, I'm coming to You trusting that You're able to release me 
from my anxiety. God, I come to you declaring that you are faithful even when I don't feel it or I'm faithless. And God, I want to pray for so-and-so because I believe their heart's hard towards you and I want, I want them to know you and love you. That's seeking His kingdom. That's a kingdom prayer. That's a worthwhile pursuit. The kingdom of God is the things that God cares about, the thing that God creates and is redeeming for Himself and for our enjoyment. When He says seek first His kingdom, it's the lens by which we view the rest of our work and our relationships and our education and all those things. It determines a lot for us. Seek first, we prioritize, hey, God's going to be important in our home. And for some of you, moms and dads, the way your next step of obedience today is when you get around the table with your children or you pray with them at night, say, admit to your kids, mommy and daddy don't always put God first. And boys and girls, I want you to know, even as your pastor, I don't always put God first either. And so I want to say to my church family and to my family, I don't always seek God first, but with His help, we're going to aspire. We're going to try to do that more. We're going we're gonna to really live in His help to, rather than being anxious, we're going to pray. And we're going to tell God what we're concerned about. And we're going to hope in God. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate. Maybe even start writing down the ways God's been answering your prayers. The way that you see God moving. And, 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 the way, and so that you can go back and remember. So He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Some of you take too much responsibility for your goodness. You work too hard to try to be good, and some of you think you're really like, man, I'm good at being good. Well, that's pride. But many of us are honest and say, I'm not very good at being good. I'm not very good at being loving. I'm not very good at being forgiving. I'm not very patient. I'm not very kind. I'm easily angered. I'm, I'm not very good at being good, and I've got to try harder at being good. No, no, no. You've got to focus on the good one. You've got to focus on the one that took care of that on your behalf. The one who strengthens you and informs you and guides you and carries you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. You become who you're around and you're surrounding yourself with the righteous one. You desire the things that are more righteous. And are at least able to identify when the things you're pursuing are not. Seek first. We prioritize and we pray. His kingdom, His righteousness. We seek first godly community of biblical people who are Christians, boys and girls, friends who love Jesus and love you and will encourage you towards things that are true. And we'll say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And when they offer some feedback, we don't immediately take it as a personal affront, but we say, hey, let me consider that and take it before God. As the Bible says, it's better to get a, a stern correction, a hard correction from a friend than a bunch of kisses from an enemy. but also invite others to pray with you. It's a beautiful thing when people are humbled and need to ask for help. Whether it's financial, whether it's marital, whether it's with their children, whether it's in situations, it's a beautiful thing being able to say, I cannot do it on my own. And seeking first God's kingdom also requires accountability. Surrounding yourself with other people who are running that same direction. Most of us do not like accountability. We like it for other people, and we hope they're accountable. Amen? We love it for other people. And if we have to hold our spouse accountable, then we'll do it. But we're so sensitive about 
hey, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. We're so sensitive because we, we hold so much in our ability to be right rather than His ability to make us right that when we mess up, it speaks, we believe, to who we are. Rather than do the right thing and focus us towards our Savior, we're seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. Boys and girls, you need to understand that all of us miss God's mark. All of us don't follow God's rules perfectly. And God would be right to punish us, but instead He punished Jesus. He made Jesus die and rise again so that we can be forgiven by trusting in Jesus. At the end of the day, there's plenty in life to worry about. There's a lot that we could give ourselves over to worry about, and I'm not trying to make your concerns or worries less. I just want to point you to the one who is more. Because when we pursue the one who is more, we're able to endure to the end. And Christians, we must remember, and if you're here and you're not yet convinced of the faith, one of the reasons that we can hope and why we can continue to pray and why we continue to not to, to work towards less worry and by some miracle, no worry at all, the way we're able to press towards that is because we know how the story ends. We believe the fact that when Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. We know how the story ends. Your success, your failure, your loneliness, your brokenness, Jesus died for that. Jesus forgives the sin. Jesus restores the broken. Jesus is worthy of our hope. Jesus is greater than our worry. Jesus is the one who is able not only to take care of our felt needs of clothing and food, but He's the one that's able to answer the ultimate question that our soul has. How can I be made right with a perfect God? Jesus. In, in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things uh, that are above and not on things that are on earth. I know many of you, you work 60 plus hours a week. Some more than that. You're like, I don't have time for that. And I would say very lovingly, you cannot afford not to have that. Our pride robs us from the joy that we are intended to have in Jesus. And many times that pride looks like worry. The way we begin to set our minds on the things above is to spend time reading and confessing and engaging. Some of the closest I've ever felt with my wife is when I'm able to sit with her and share my worries and we're able to pray together. Or sometimes we have things to worry about that are my fault and I have to say I'm sorry and then ask God for forgiveness. I think, I think many of us struggle with worry more than we admit. We worry about what other people think about us. We worry about how we're going to provide for our family. We worry about whether we're good enough or wise enough or we're good enough parents or if we're good enough students or if we're good enough friends. We worry about a lot of those things. And Jesus calls us to something better. Don't be anxious, but rather seek first God's kingdom, which is lasting and eternal and perfect, and His righteousness, which is our only hope. And then He gives us promise. 
And then all these things will be added to you as well. What things? The things we need, the clothing, the food, the peace, the security. As we seek Him, He is faithful to provide all we need. But focusing on God and His kingdom frees us from worry. If you struggle with worry, I'd encourage you to go and memorize some Scripture. I'd encourage you to go to and read and memorize Philippians 4, 4-7. through I want you to memorize it, I want you to take it apart, and I want you to start studying it. Every one of you should be writing it down, because you know somebody who struggles with worry. Or it's you, because I know your stories. Philippians 4, 4-7. through And begin to break that down, and begin to pray that passage. And begin to guide that into your prayer life. Use the worry as motivation to press into God, not to ignore God. Use your worry to be able to come before God to seek His grace and His guidance. It's not overwhelming to Him. It's what He was creating. It's what He created us for. He created us to trust in Him and to hope in Him for the forgiveness of our sin and for the fullness of our life. When we sit to pray over a meal, we're not doing it because, well, we're supposed to pray for our food. God thanks for food. But the fact that there was an animal or vegetables created, hopefully not the yucky vegetables, right kids? But food and vegetables created that died so that we could have life. The food provided for us reminds us of the God's gospel. We can live gospel-centered lives. We can live through the lens of the gospel as we live this life and as we work hard and as we study hard and as we play hard. And as we love well and as we forgive and as we mess up, we can live through the lens that we are able to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness because we can trust that God has provided and will help us press through. You'll notice in Philippians 4 as you study it later, it talks about with thanksgiving and with gratitude. And if you literally read it in Philippians 4, it talks about thankfulness in your anxiety. Let anxiety be a prompt that you need Jesus and allow that to lead you to prayer because ultimately focusing on God and His kingdom frees us from worry. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And Father, I pray for any boy or girl man or woman in this room that has yet to place their hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin and for the acceptance into your family, Lord, that they would place their hope in Jesus today. Lord, I admit my worry, and you've been so faithful to allow me to come as worried as I get at times to you with it. Lord, you've blessed me with family and friends who put up with it and that engage with it and that love me through it. Father, you've given the truth of your word. Father, you've given sustainment by your power. Not only have I experienced it in my life, but I've seen it in the lives of those represented here. And I ask for more of that in more and more lives of my friends here at Christ Community Church. We live in a worried and anxious culture. We live worried about politics. We live worried about finances. We live worried about work. We worry about our kids and their lives and their success. Lord, we live in a very worried culture. And Lord, I know that it would communicate a lot of truth and go a long way for us to live as a people pursuing peace instead of anxiety. Motivated by truth rather than worry. Motivated by hope rather than worry. 
with generosity and grace and pursuit and love that we might see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray your blessing on the boys and girls and their moms and dads, and I pray for those who are gathered here who do not yet trust you, that you would help them to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.